Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the swing cash to my Mark Tatum. It's Matthew Penny. <laughs> Penny, I know you saw swing cash. Just disgusted whenever Mark Tatum pulled out that 10th card and it was the New Orleans Pelicans. I did. It was pure disgust. And I, I personally, I feel like this is a post-game interview right now. So I'm glad you're grabbing my thoughts from the jump. Because I, I still have nerves like I was somehow involved in the process and it wasn't at all. And also like the selection show being virtual, I thought it lost some of that pomp and circumstance. But at least now we do have somewhat solid team draft positions and can stop using Tankathon every other day. We have some answers. So, so here's why I'm stressed. Because right as the lottery was happening... Laura and I, who are moving into a new house on Monday, got a call from our attorney, basically like throwing a rundown of like all the numbers we owe and like wanted to speak on the phone. And then our (laughs) internet provider at the new house, Telstra, decided to call Laura immediately. So Laura's trying to loop me in right at 830 Eastern time to try to talk to our internet provider. And oh, yeah, on top of it right now, I am podcasting next to a white garbage bag filled with towels that we've washed (laughs) to like go take over to our new house so the the amount of stress in this household is very high and palpable and i'm the same as you like i felt like i was in the middle of this thing i felt like i was like rooting for the toronto raptors rooting for the detroit pistons like i was it was so stressful i just wanted them all to win because i want them all to have Cade. Oh, I didn't want that. I was somebody asked me today who I wanted to get the first pick. I said the Celtics. I said they don't have one. I said yeah, not yet. <laughs> it's like maybe maybe slide an extra ping pong ball or something there. That's what Celtics need a big, big facilitating guard. Uh, it was good to to kind of again get some finality to this, or it's a, it's a good first step. Uh, but yeah, it was just a weird process. Like I, I, I didn't have a connection to really anything, but so many franchises' futures were on the line and. Yeah, maybe you just need like a drum set to release some stress during all this right now, like the big short or something, bang some drumsticks at your desk next to your uh, bag of <laughs> towels and your ever-changing background for the Game Theory podcast. Well, the next one's going to be the last one for a while. Like, that is absolutely accurate. Whenever we start, whenever I move there, the plan is to start doing video for the podcast. So you better be ready, by the way, to do video oh, on this wow. shit. I, I better get my t-shirt collection right. Oh, yeah. I've got like five that I'd feel conf- confident like wearing <laughs> on TV. I've, I spend more of my money on shoes than on T-shirts, and I feel like that yeah. needs to be changed. Well, sh- sh- shoes don't really show up. I'll, we'll probably get some comment like, is that kid wearing an Undertaker T-shirt again? Yes. <laughs> I, I actually am. 36 years old, so we're in wrestling shirts. Yeah. So the Detroit Pistons move up. They win the 2021 NBA draft lottery. They're the very obvious winner here. I mean, what is your immediate thought when you see the Detroit Pistons move up to number one? My immediate thought was when Troy Weaver got the general manager job over a year ago, uh, I'm sure he circled Cade Cunningham as a potential culture carrier for what he envisioned the Pistons doing. They went young and sort of tank mode last season, but you had those bright spots in Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, both made all rookie teams. The franchise has faith in Killian Hayes as a guard of the future. He was banged up, had some injuries, didn't really get to what we envisioned earlier, too. But Cade Cunningham fits their brand of basketball and what they're trying to build. He has that offensive versatility that allows him to fit seamlessly on or off the ball, even playing with Killian Hayes. And 
with his vision, his feel, the size, the initiation, the point of attack. And I was actually encouraged a little bit, too, for him to split duties as a primary ball handler. And he doesn't have to start the offense or, or force scoring actions every time he touched the ball, kind of like he did at Oklahoma State. So, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion of the Killian Hayes mix with Cade. And part of me really likes it because I think Killian is best as a secondary ball handler. Part of me is like a little bit worried that it'll just result in a lot of perimeter play and a lot of perimeter shots because neither Cade nor Killian is like an incredible athlete, right? They're both good athletes and they're both functional athletes, but like neither of them are wildly explosive, right? Uh, But they're both big. They're both such good defenders. I think that they just bring a lot of gifts to the table that are complementary of one another that I absolutely want to see how it looks from game one next year. You know what I mean? Absolutely. With the pairing there and some pick and roll stuff with Isaiah Stewart, you have Sadiq Bey camped out on the wing there. Jeremy Grant had a great year last year. I like the pieces and I think I like the pieces anywhere around Cade, but even more so I was, I, I, I didn't see as a negative that they have Killian Hayes and okay, here comes Cade Cunningham. How are we going to figure it out? seems like it's going to work no matter what. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, like I had Killian Hayes at number, I think, 10 on my board last year. If you get the opportunity to take Cade Cunningham, you don't not do it because you have Killian Hayes. Now, like, look, here's what I'll say. Troy Weaver just did a press conference, right? And according to our James Edwards, they're going to vet, I believe, five guys is what Troy Weaver said. So I I think that it's going to be Cade Cunningham. I think that's the most likely outcome here. I think it should be the most likely outcome here. Troy Weaver is someone that does not subscribe to groupthink. You ask someone about him, that is like the thing. The people that know him say that he's not going to just do it because he thinks that he's Cade Cunningham is the guy that they should take, right? He's going to do his research. He's going to vet all of these guys and he's going to make the call. I mean, like, I got a couple text messages. I wrote this in the mock draft. Like, I got a couple text messages basically immediately after the draft or after the lottery saying, like, you know, we've heard throughout the year that the Pistons really like Jalen Green. So I think it's going to be Cade Cunningham. I think it should be Cade Cunningham. <sighs> Troy Weaver is a wild card to an extent, a little yeah, bit a of a wild card, a, a different, yeah, different in a good sense in the way that he goes about evaluating players. And I just, I, I want to. I don't want to make Detroit Pistons fans that have been wishing for Cade Cunningham all year panic. I <laughs> absolutely yeah. like, wait, still wait, think... Am I listening to this? Is he not coming here? We were, we were praying for this. You're telling me this is not going to happen. This is not a report that they are not taking Cade Cunningham. This is not a report that they like Jalen Green better than Cade Cunningham. This is just me saying that I want to learn more before writing it in stone that the Detroit Pistons are going to take Cade Cunningham at number one, basically. You're, you're not getting your personalized Cade Cunningham Pistons jersey yet, is what you're saying. You have to, you have to put it on pause. Right. You know, just honestly, like a Cade Cunningham Pistons jersey, even if they do end up going a different direction, would be an incredible memorabilia item for once Cade oh, is like making all NBA teams. Uh, but yeah. at the same token, I'm just saying like very, very, very high odds it's Cade. I'm just, you know, I, I don't know is, the, is my point. I don't know. 
I don't think any of us really know. And the Pistons are going to do their research. They're going to bring in those five guys, like you said. Cade Cunningham's camp said we'll have one workout. I'll be with the number one pick in the draft, which I loved. I'm going here. You can take me or, or not. That's up to you. But I'm working out with one team. And we've seen similar stuff before. And me in the backyard of Boston, and we've never had the most lottery luck, going back to, to Tim Duncan and Greg Oden, Kevin Durant. I digress. When they got the number one pick in the draft, they said, fantastic. I love Markel Fultz. He's the guy of the future. And then Danny Ainge went and made a trade. I said, what are you doing? This makes no sense. And Jason Tatum is a bona fide superstar. So I, I'm with you that the group think doesn't always have to be the the way or line of thinking. But I, I wouldn't. it wouldn't surprise me if at least they're bouncing stuff off the wall of, of things that could work. And you go back now, and in retrospect, you can talk to GMs and front office people. Some people had Tatum first, even though it's kind of the consensus, I'd say, at least online, that Markel Fultz was first. Right. I don't know if I found anywhere right now that doesn't have Cade Cunningham, the number one overall pick. I would be shocked if he doesn't go first, but it's not a 100%, like you said, set in stone thing that's done. I, I'd be totally stunned if he doesn't go first. I also have not talked to anyone who does not have Cade at number one, but, you know, I'm just saying that this is not like the most done deal like this is not like 2019 when like david griffin i don't remember if he said he's taking zion williamson on the night of the lottery but it was very well it was clear that they were taking zion williamson uh i think he's taking him i think he's taking Cade. but you know let's let's see where it goes let's uh let's move forward let's go to number two the houston rockets big winner of the night because they kept their top four pick so the Rockets have John Wall and Eric Gordon both on the books for a significant chunk of change. It, it would be a best available pick for me. Preferably, I would go in the backcourt for a guy like Jalen Suggs, but I, I wouldn't be shocked by a, an Evan Mobley, by a Jalen Green. To me, Suggs just has a, a higher floor than those other two guys. You, you know what you're going to get. He led Gonzaga to one of the best seasons in program history and in the NCAA this year losing in the national championship game he can facilitate he can score he makes really good reads off pick and roll loves to play downhill sees the floor and transition advances the ball ahead he, he's a, a perfect fit on on any roster and I'm just a believer in him being the, the best guy there look at this this is absolutely an Under Armour propaganda move from Matthew Penny going Jalen Suggs at number two <laughs> Not at all. It, w- it would have been if we had like Minnesota number one, and I said draft the hometown hero from Minnehaha Academy and make it work. Then people would dig into me. But I- I've, I've been, been believer in Suggs. He was better this college season than I thought he would be. He put a lot more of the pieces together. So that's just why I, I think that he could be a, a guy that, that makes a, a splash earlier than potentially Mobley. Maybe not Jalen Green because he had such a, a great G League Ignite season. But uh, Suggs is my guy, too. No, I'm, I'm actually with you. I would take Jalen Suggs at number two as well. Uh, just the athleticism. I think it would mix really well with Kevin Porter in the backcourt. Uh, his ability to play on ball defense, I think, would mix really well with Kevin Porter. Uh, his shot making, his distribution and passing, that would be two guys that can dribble past create their own shot at the very least you know kevin's jumper is spotty but i think he'll be a good shooter at some point uh it'd just be really hard i think to contain those guys but uh, having said that i think jalen green is a pretty real contender there i think that evan mobley is a pretty real contender like if you want to build around a guy in mobley that can just bring a lot to the table in terms of defense in terms of shot creation himself in terms of passing I'd be interested there. I, having said that, like I, Evan Mobley is 
this this is the kind of part where like you have to start considering like you know evan mobley is a quieter kid he's not like a in your face personality so is that the kind of organization that you're comfortable comfortable building are you comfortable um with the people you have around him allowing him to have success and fostering his success long term is it the best fit for evan mobley uh, you know that that's not just a consideration that people on the outside have to consider for you know when considering if evan mobley fits there it's a consideration that the organizations themselves have to really you know take a look into and decide you know are we the organization that can get the most out of evan mobley uh just peer period point blank could be there because maybe his personality it's not as loud and fits in a locker room that potentially could be louder and he's actually come out of a shell a little bit more in the last year or two throughout the high school ranks his brother isaiah who played with him at usc was kind of more like the mouthpiece for the the brothers collectively totally but evan's tried to be a little bit more outgoing and <laughs> i think with his play too on the court when it was actually clicking and going and he's yelling a little bit on blocks and communicating he's not there yet from like an alpha sense but maybe putting some of those type of players around him can bring out even more of that yeah and i think evan mobley is going to be an all-star i think he's going to be like an, a potential all-nba player someday so this isn't me criticizing evan mobley i just think that it's interesting when you're trying to create a roster essentially from scratch because there isn't anyone on this houston team that really is a guaranteed piece there christian wood is a really good player he is two years left on his contract kevin porter jr is a wild card in terms of the way that uh he goes about his uh you know but uh, i guess business. but he gets buckets business. buckets is also is also his his business because we we talked about ways back like oh maybe it was in the g league averages 40 so he goes in the g league and averages 40 rolls out and then has like 20 game in the nba the guy can score we're not gonna debate that right so uh, i guess that where i'm at is like this is an important pick not just from a on-court perspective but also from a culture perspective for houston they need the guy that is going to be the absolute centerpiece of their organization this guy is going to get every single media request for the organization over the next three (laughs) years basically because of how far away they are from competing so I think that all of that is a factor. And I think Evan Mobley would be great at that. Like, I think he would be uh, someone who would deal, who deals well with the media. I've talked to Evan Mobley before. He's fantastic. He's an unbelievable kid. I would obviously take, uh, I, I would take Jalen Suggs here. That's not an indictment of Evan Mobley. It's more that I think that ball handlers are more important in today's NBA. And Suggs is, attitude of just taking games by the balls like that that absolutely appeals to me and i i don't think we should undersell the potential for jalen green either they may envision totally jalen green on one wing kevin porter on another that could be a, a real thing too with with his athleticism and the way he's produced against nba pros and fringe nba pros in the g league and kind of closed some of the, the book on him his his shooting has gotten a lot better his, his he was a lot more effective in the half court than i had seen previously at usa basketball and when he was on the grassroots circuit so he's improving too and you could see a, a team drafting second or, or even you said potentially first that trades down really intrigued by the trajectory that he's on and may continue to get on as he gets a little bit bigger and stronger too 
Totally agree. And I want to bring up Jalen Green in regard to Cleveland, because I think that that is one of my favorite fits, the more that I think about it. I think that if you pair him with Darius Garland, that's going to be absolutely awesome. Those two together, just dribble, shoot, create offensive weapons in the backcourt. I think it's going to be really hard to slow those two down if Jalen Green gets the number three uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Are you breaking up Sexland? Is Colin Sexton out then? If you're you're saying that, because when, when I kind of looked at Cleveland third, my gut reaction was you go Evan Mobley with Jared Allen as restricted free agent and Mobley kind of a more off the ball impact guy that fits with Sexton sure. Garland. They can dribble, shoot, pass, and kind of do the thing. You have an improved defense for a second straight draft after adding Isaac Coro last year, who made uh, All Rookie Second Team. And there's uh, just a couple of different ways you can slice it. It could be more telling that if you go, based on what our order is, if, if Suggs went second and Jalen Green goes third, I'm sorry, maybe they believe in the core, but he's more of an upgrade of what they already have. And, and the free agency thing with Jared Allen, that could be a, a big swing too. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. (laughs) 
look, if I was Cleveland, I would take Evan Mobley over Jalen Green. But for fun, like I'm excited about a potential Darius Garland Jalen Green combo. <laughs> this is what this is uh, about. This is, a, this is a fun podcast. The the thing for me is I don't want to pay Jared Allen seventy million dollars. <laughs> like that's I don't either. That's but, not but something possible. that's if they, if, if they do that, yeah. and that, and that's where you can spin your mock draft versus your big board. You can see it happening, right? Like that. But that's if you pay just, Jared Allen, I, I wouldn't take. Jared, I wouldn't do Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Would you? Does that pair work well enough? No, not at all. I I would take Evan Mobley and then like try and sign and trade Jared Allen somewhere. Like, could you sign and trade him to Boston or something like that? Or could you sign and trade oh, him to? Well. I don't know. Uh, you know. Toronto, because uh, they could really use a center, right, at number four. Uh, right. I'm just, like, trying to come up with random ideas here, right? But I-, I think that that is their best long-term foundational move because it still allows for future flexibility with Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. Uh, it-, it keeps the cap a little bit cleaner long-term. Having said that, if you do this with Jalen Green, you probably have to move Colin Sexton. The other problem is you probably need to move Sexton anyway before paying him. Like, I don't think I want to pay both Colin Sexton and Darius Garland big money extensions. So this is why I don't really love what Cleveland has done over the last few years. They've really backed themselves into a weird position. It's not a hole. It's just a... It's hard to navigate in a lot of ways. And I think that the best front offices tend to operate from a position of strength and from flexibility. Whereas Cleveland now, I don't think they're operating from a position of weakness because they still have Colin Sexton for another year before he hits restricted free agency. And they still have Darius Garland for two more years. And, uh, you know, Jared Allen is a restricted free agent. So they hold the cards there, but they now have to make their choices this summer as opposed to, being able to roll it over into next summer. And that gets complicated, I think, in terms of uh, it could back you into a corner to make a decision that may not be the best long term. Yeah, it expedited the process, certainly. And at least with Isaac Coro too, that his defense, and there were moments where he had all NBA-level defense during the year. And like most rookies, he took his lumps, and he won a little bit more offensively out of him. But at least that was, a, a, to me, a solid pick where it was in the draft. And you can yell and say Halliburton was a guy or, or whatever. But it wasn't Obi Toppin where he, he wasn't as impactful on the court that Isaac Coro was. So if you have him, can get Mobley, you shore up your D, you don't have to pay Jared Allen, that probably helps your cap a little bit there too. Totally, one hundred percent agree. I'm just very, uh, I'm very interested in what Cleveland does now because there's there are so many different things. There's so many different ways that they could go here. They could continue down the road of Colin Sexton, and Darius Garland. They could give Colin Sexton an extension uh, and lock him in long term money wise. They could give Jared Jared Allen an extension and lock him long term money wise. Like, I think that's a terrible idea to lock those two in under big money. Uh, and basically set yourself up to where you never have cap space. But if you're Cleveland, (laughs) like that's a weird choice, right? Uh, You don't always have free agents looking to go there. So maybe you do want to lock yourself in because you think that there are better opportunities via the trade market long-term. I'm not convinced that Colin Sexton and, Jared Allen will be wanted by enough teams to where they will have commensurate value with what their statistical production is. But 
it's it's just a difficult to navigate deal i think right it is and they can build like you said through trades or or through the draft and you're still in a great opportunity to draft third overall and draft we said has five maybe more potential all-stars and you have your pick after the first two and that's why even when you slide down to the raptors at four it'll like they got to be kind of sitting in the wings here and waiting to see who that guy is because there's some great fits there too that uh, may fit better than others depending on who's off the board yeah and speaking of toronto toronto is in like the best they're not in the best spot the best spot would be number one or number two or number three but they're in a really advantageous spot right now because all three of jalen green jalen suggs and evan mobley make an immense amount of like sense for them yes absolutely uh, evan mobley fills their biggest positional need at center Jalen Suggs and Fred Van Vliet would be an incredible combination in the backcourt. And then on top of it, Jalen Green is just pure offense and they could use a pure offensive creator. Like Toronto's just going to be able to sit back and do whatever, take whoever falls to them. Totally agree. You have Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet locked in through 23-24, OG Ananobi through 24-25 have some faith in Gary Trent Jr., which he did last year. That's the foundation, what works around him. I start as a home run if somehow Jalen Suggs slips there. You pair him with Fred Van Vliet. It fits the intensity, the focus of the team, culture, makeup. But I also agree with you that if it's Mobley or Jalen Green, they're not going to play with those either because those guys fit into what they're lacking. Like I don't think they necessarily have three holes, but it plugs a big one or maybe two of them by adding a guy like this. It's absolutely going to fill a hole for them. And then they have some real potential cap space this summer too if kyle lowry walks and if kyle lowry walks uh that could easily allow them to fill the center position like i I have this crazy idea of them maybe trying to go and steal john collins from atlanta um Mm. like that that would be the most fun person i think to put in that front court because of his ability to dribble pass shoot and uh, not really pass but dribble and shoot and play out of pick and roll (laughs) and everything uh and he'd be really good next to pascal siakam defensively because siakam can kind of handle some fives og ananobi can handle some fives that'd just be a really fun creative way to go about things uh it, it would require atlanta not to pay john collins which I'd be pretty surprised based off of the playoffs if they weren't willing to. But nonetheless, uh, I think that it's Toronto is one of my favorite teams to watch this summer because there are so many different ways that Masai Ujiri can go. And this is all while having a team that I think makes the playoffs next year now that they have the number four overall pick. Don't disagree. And I just kind of see that backcourt of Suggs and Van Vliet if it's so one drives baseline hit opposite corner action they're in a pick and roll they hit Pascal Siakam in the dunker spot there's just a lot of different options there that could be uh advantageous to the way they want to play and just keep on coming downhill at you with two attacking guards like that or if it's Jalen Green coming off a, a, a skip pass and cutting down the lane and dunking on top of anybody that doesn't hurt either no it absolutely does not uh any other big takeaways here in the lottery uh, or just from what happened tonight uh we've got minnesota having lost its pick we've got chicago officially having lost its pick uh the golden state warriors have two lottery picks the orlando magic have two lottery picks the warriors a a little bit i think in in my basketball gods hopes i would dreamed of seeing kate cunningham somehow play with steph curry and clay thompson i think his assist numbers would be crazy and and anyone says that not that he can't pass but it's kind of and knocking the turnovers and he had a kind of a lower assist rate just based on the pieces around him at Oklahoma State I think those 
discussions would be done once and for all, but does Golden State package those picks for kind of a, a guy right now? Because if you're at seven, I don't know, as much as I like a guy like Davion Mitchell, I don't know if that necessarily adds a, a ton of wind shares to what you're doing. They probably need a, a piece as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green are all getting older to win more right now. Can I mention the guy that I think would be most fun for them? You're going to say Scotty Barnes, aren't you? I'm actually not, but that's a really good one. Uh, okay. I, I don't think he gets to seven. Uh, James Booknight, I think, would be incredible there. You put him in between Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, just with how creative he is off the bounce and how shifty he is, how tough he is at the basket. Uh, all of that space at the rim, I mean, he'd finish and put pressure on the defense in such a real way for them, I think. And they were missing that this year when Stephen Curry was off the court. Interestingly enough, when I was doing my kind of quick takes, as our, our phones were blowing up with with friends and, and comrades saying who goes here, who goes there. When I had fourteen, just the way it kind of shook out, I thought maybe Book Knight could slip. And if you're fourteen at Golden State, you can take a real gamble there with a guy like Book Knight added to whoever you get at seven, or you can buy into Usman Garuba as kind of a poor man's Draymond, and then Draymond can can be the you know the master teacher for both James Wiseman and Usman Garuba at the same time. Uh, adding another score would, would definitely be a priority. I just see more of their general manager and Bob Myers putting stuff together to try to get a more of a veteran presence. It's interesting. You know, Bob Myers talked to the media uh, earlier. I think it was maybe late last week or early this weekend or something like that. And he, he certainly didn't rule out the potential of a trade, but he did, it seemed like, kind of throw water on the idea that they're definitely moving these picks. You know what I mean? Because I feel sure. like that's something that everyone has thought for a while. They're the most likely team to trade and move. Um, but he also said, you know, 31 minutes ago, I don't think it'll be a situation where we're trying to develop players at the risk of losing. So, you know, like I think that anyone that Mixed they messages, like I think that anyone that they take is going to have to be someone that they think can step in immediately and play. And I think Book Knight can step in immediately. You mentioned Garuba. I think Garuba can step in and play immediately. Davion Mitchell can step in and play pretty quickly. So if they keep these picks, I think that that's going to be kind of the number one overriding thing Franz Wagner uh, he's someone that I think could step in pretty quickly and play just given his basketball IQ defensively particularly so that to me is what I would look at with the Warriors like are there guys that they could draft that can step in and play immediately Um, I'm not totally sure on that uh, to be honest and I think that they should explore the trade market and you're saying more of a they're, they're more comfortable drafting older you talk to some teams they don't like guys who are 22 23 because well, they're worried about where they kind of go down the line so Davion Mitchell for them at 7 maybe they're not as, as scared because you want somebody to produce right here right now whereas Keon Johnson's 19 years old you don't want to wait Josh Giddy is you know better than me 18 or 19 years old they don't want to wait 18 yeah Friends, yeah, so taking a, an older guy maybe early at, at 7 or, or taking one of those guys later at 14 could not be like the wildest thing in the world. Yeah, so the Warriors, I think, are the real move team outside of the top four. It's worth mo- no, uh, mentioning Orlando as well. They have 5 and 8. Orlando does tend to love these super long athletes, and at 5, they're likely going to have both Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga there which is funny for a number of reasons. Uh, They are the most Jeff Weltman 
John Hammond prospects ever, both like plus six, plus seven wingspans and athletes. <laughs> Can and... they draft both at the same time? <laughs> Oklahoma City said, like, we're going to take whoever you weren't. So how do you get both of them? Oh, my God. Uh, if they end up with both Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga, I will never stop laughing. <laughs> I just want I don't think so. I, I feel like Scotty Barnes to Oklahoma City at six makes a lot of sense. He feels like uh, a Sam Presti guy. I. Uh, Kaminga probably more at five, I would I would guess, because you have guards in, in Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony. RJ Hampton was better later than the year. It dealt with injuries to Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. You, you got Wendell Carter in the trade. Gary Harris has a year left on his deal. It, it does feel very magic-y that it would be one of those two, but just if I, if I had to make a, a judgment call, I'd say Kaminga at five and Scotty Barnes at six, Oklahoma City. I think that's true, and I think that's probably what will happen. You know, more and more people are considering, okay, what if Jonathan Kaminga isn't number five? Because I I feel like he's kind of had that spot locked down for a little while now. And I I think that that's the one where people are like, well, maybe maybe it's not Kaminga more so than the top four, you know, or more so than Cade at one. Uh, I feel like that's where the, okay, are we, are we sure that this hasn't just been groupthink that Kaminga is five? I think like that's where that lack of confirmation bias is starting to come in. I see that. And after one or two G League Ignite games, I thought about putting him first. And then the jumper kind of crept away. I said I should not put him first. But maybe a guy, it, Franz Wagner, is is could make sense there even though he's probably too close positionally to Jonathan Isaac but so what you're saying if Kaminga's not the fifth guy who is it is it Franz Wagner is it Keon Johnson moves up I mean his range seems to kind of be all over the place right now do they go crazy and and add a, another big guard in Josh Giddy? I don't think they'd reach for a, a Jalen Johnson there but I wouldn't be totally shocked if he somehow yeah. slips up in the top 10 yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll just say I do have Josh Giddy going to Orlando at eight in the mock that I just filed because I, I feel like the thing that they need in the backcourt, they have a scorer in Cole Anthony, scorer in RJ Hampton. Markel Fultz is more just in the way his brain is aligned. I think he would rather try and drive and score than yeah. try and make plays and pass. Then on top of it, if you go Kuminga, Kuminga is definitely a scorer, although he showed some interesting passing things this year i think that he's more wired to score as well uh it feels like to me that they could use just like an unselfish connector passer more than anything which is why i did giddy at eight that's for sure it'd just be a little bit of a crowded backcourt with the guys that they have but if their scouts have gone over there and see it and there's been some workout videos circulating him too the jumper looks a little bit better and moving a little bit quicker and a little bit more twitchier than then maybe that's a guy that can fit with the players they had and just more of an upgrade and not plugging a hole per se can we uh can we just do five quick minutes on the combine too uh, absolutely which which one we want to start uh we're gonna start with the the g league night combine or the the measurements of doom that we got today from the nba combine <laughs> let's let's start with the elite uh the elite combine real quick just because i don't think it's going to take too long uh the evaluators that were there that i talked to in chicago because obviously i'm over here in melbourne i'm just texting and calling people the impression that i got from them was that the talent group there this year did not impress quite as much as the 2019 group did 
Yes, that, that, that's fair. And while I, I saw and heard similar things, I also didn't feel like there was guys that were necessarily left off the board. Like, I couldn't believe they didn't take these 10 guys and, and took these 10 ones. You could argue for a player or two, but overall, I thought it was kind of like the names. Like, those are the guys that should have been there for 90% of them. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I think there were only five or six guys that I was like, oh, wow, why did that guy get an invite? I, I just think it's more that this draft doesn't have a crazy wild amount of depth. Uh, when I look at it, I, I it's I, I'm trying to figure out like how many guys are going to have two way grades and I'm just not sure. Right. right? Yeah. And, and it's just a, it's it's a weird setting too. It was such sloppy play to start. And it was it was kind of crazy because everyone's trying to show things that they aren't. And I thought Carly Jones was awesome the first game because he was just Carly Jones. You have all these bigs were pure fives trying to show that they can shoot from three and guys trying to go off the dribble. And Carly Jones just played out, pick and roll, hit open shots, and he looked great. He got a call up to the actual combine. And you saw the athleticism in guys like Aaron Wiggins. He looked like uh, an NBA player with, with his size and length on the wing when guys, he's shooting on the top are six foot three. So like those type yep. of things where, where guys weren't trying to do too much and just play their game and not, oh, my God, I got I two two games to show that I should be in the main combine and this is what I actually do and I was caged up in college you could see mentally that the guys were just all over the place yeah I mean that's what Dwayne Washington did and Dwayne Washington ended up earning his way into the combine that's what Mac McClung did and I, I didn't really like what I saw from Mac McClung in the five on five if we're going to be honest um, it really you just set yourself up for okay if I'm making shots I'm going to look really good if I'm not making shots I'm going to look terrible like kind of deal and if I'm somewhere in the middle and if I'm somewhere in the middle like Mac McClung was where it's not like he shot terribly like I think he was 5 for 11 and I forget what he was in the second game but like you just don't make an impact elsewhere I I thought that someone even like Eugene Omaruyi who defended his ass off and played really hard and didn't seem in the first game like he needed to have the ball in his hands. I thought that that guy was super impressive in the G League Elite camp. And then the second game, he took like 15 shots. And I thought he was less impressive in that game because he was just (laughs) in the second half kind of out there chucking. So it was, you know, he, he had 15 points and five rebounds or something in the second game. And the stat sheet looked great. But, you know, Eugene Omarui's NBA role is going to be hey crash defend play hard play physically i want guys who know what their role is going to be yeah don't shoot one for six from three and six or 15 overall and it, it, it definitely felt that second game he was stat chasing at times with leak outs and the first game omari looked a little bit out of place offensively then made some hustle plays got himself back into it but it, it is just you, you have to play what your role would be and even like a guy shondi brown didn't have crazy eye-popping numbers he is two for seven for five points that second game but he just did those touch and slip screens for baskets he was a little bit better all ball defender than i gave him credit for he turned the point guard for some bad shots he rebounded well it wasn't a ton of flash but just solid overall in the way he played within himself in a good way yeah no i i agree with that i thought he was probably one of the seven or so most impressive guys there uh, i i thought that Wiggins and Carly Jones, like you mentioned, really stood out. Uh, I don't know that Dwayne Washington, Dwayne Washington just is who he is, right? Um, yes. AJ Lawson, I thought popped athletically. I thought Delano Banton really popped, to be honest. Delano, 
Yes, especially that second game. That first game, he was 0 for 5, and maybe part of it was he had the wrong jersey on. They, like, duct taped the name of his back. I don't know if they right. spelled it wrong or what it was. It was like, this is, this is also not a great start. And he played off the ball a lot. And he's at his best when he has the ball in his hands, kind of orchestrating the offense. And he just – the first game, it wasn't there. Then the second game, he gets a quick basket – after going scoreless the night before, or he got to play more of that lead guard role, which allowed him to showcase those tools that made him so appealing at Nebraska, and just really an exceptional feel, instincts. Instead of kind of pre-planning decisions out of pick and roll, he, he lets the play develop, and he had eight points, 13 rebounds, five assists. I didn't realize he had as many rebounds until I saw the box score after, because he just does it within the way the game is, and they're not the loudest, but... I like the size. I like his length. He was uh, another guy that I thought was one of the best four or five there. Yeah, again, just the guy who played his role and did what his role would be in the NBA, right? Like that guy I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, it looks like there's only four guys that got the call up to the big in to the big combine, right? Uh, I think it was four. Yes, uh, Ben did not correct. I it was it was Carly Jones, Dwayne Washington, Wiggins, and Lawson. Is that that's, right? That's that's the four I've seen. Um, yes, I think so too. Yeah, I, I'm not totally sure if those are the only guys. I think part of it will depend on like, it, does anyone drop out? Like Matthew Mayer dropped out of the combine uh, to go back to Baylor, and then you know Isaiah Jackson and Dayron Sharp and Cam Thomas also are not going to be the combine. I don't know if they were anticipating playing 5 on 5 or not. So I am not to- I think that some of it will depend on like does anyone drop out of 5 on 5 tomorrow, you would think, right? Right. Maybe a few guys are still hanging out in the hotel waiting for the call. What was your take on Kofi Coburn out there? I thought he didn't look quite as in shape as he was at Illinois this year. Uh he was like, I don't want to say laboring, but like by the third game or whatever, or not by the third game, by like his third stint on the court and like by the fourth minute that he was on the court, like he seemed a little bit tired. Maybe it was the up-tempo nature of the game, like adjusting to that 24 second shot clock versus 30 more spread out, everything like that. It, it was weird to me. Yeah, a little bit. I thought he looked and he still enormous but i thought he looked a little bit leaner but i agree just ran out of gas early maybe it's because he's he's defending a little bit more and rolled a little bit out of pick and roll harder than he normally was i liked his energy level he he did change ends as fast as he could he cleaned up around the basket and it just they always turned off a little bit even the way he defended jay huff just he gave him so much space and you're not gonna be able to do that with shooting fives and jay huff didn't shoot the ball great but he got off the shots when he wanted to had 13 rebounds drivers do think twice about going to the paint when he's there but still kind of more of the same prospect that that i saw this season at illinois yeah i agree like he'll probably be somewhere in the 70s for me like this didn't like move him up or anything it it, it helped wiggins it helped carly jones like those are two guys that really you know helped themselves and moved up I will say, like, there there are a few guys that, like, hurt themselves. Like, I've been a fan of Matt Mitchell. I thought Matt Mitchell was bad over those two games. Um, I, I did not think, like, Derek Alston made shots, but just how slow the release was, I, I didn't think it was very good. Um, and then today we had the measurements apocalypse. I, I just want to... <laughs> There's some good ones, though. There's an apocalypse. There's a couple good ones we should talk about. Like, guys, Sharif Cooper is not six foot four. <laughs> i mean the internet tells us so and they're going nuts with that maybe he's on his tippy toes i don't know six four seems really ambitious if you told me six two i'd say eh, maybe but i don't think six three and a half without shoes that's that's not right like we have images of him standing next to bruce pearl like this year and he 
Bruce Pearl, I mean, you've stood next to Bruce Pearl. Like, Bruce is what? Not 6'4", yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, like, four, six foot, that. maybe six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe somewhere between, like, you know, 5'10 and six foot. You know, maybe, I don't think he's over six foot, right? And Sharif Cooper is maybe his height, like, maybe a touch taller than Bruce Pearl. So, I, I mean, look... 19 year old like i guess he could have grown but that would be hell of timing for a growth spurt <laughs> like, well I, I will say i will say this to, to make it all about me i grew two or three inches my freshman year of college so it's possible i, I don't know if sharif cooper based on the the videos and stuff from this year and the pictures but it is possible i i also we laughed about it it's probably just an error somebody just probably entered it in wrong and hit send and people are going nuts about it and if you look and i don't know if it's been updated on the website he just did the the height and i was laughing thinking about i wonder if somebody said you're six three and a half he said shutting it down we're good you got my size that's right six six four (laughs) so like there's an image i saw online of him standing next to chris paul and he's chris paul's height like i mean That that was last summer he had the growth spurs in the Auburn weight room. That's just, yeah. just natural, natural growing. Nineteen. <laughs> if the Auburn weight room is getting guys up to six foot four from six foot tall, we got to have another That's conversation another about the Auburn spin. weight room. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> What's the HGH going on there? Alleged HGH, but they, like he was, he was one that that stood out. But a, a couple others. Your favorite Deuce McBride was six two and a half in shoes with a six eight, almost six nine wingspan. I thought that one popped. Uh, Joe Wieskamp was six seven with a six eleven wingspan. Yep. Moses Moody was six six with seven one wingspan. So there were some positives there too. Yeah, for sure. And like JT Thor confirming at a at what was it? It was like seven three seven three and change six, wingspan. Yeah, seven three point two five wingspan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Kai Jones coming in at like nine two five standing reach was really big. Like standing reach is the number that is important for centers, right? Um, I, I will say Luka right. Garza coming in under nine foot standing reach was not good for him. Uh, nine foot tends to be the number for centers unless you're playing as like a small ball center. Uh, right. Luka being under nine is not great for him. Like Scotty Barnes was at nine for reference on that. Uh. You know, Greg Brown, who is six foot eight and a half with a seven foot wingspan, came in at eight eleven. So that's a little bit scary, I would say. Uh, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see these guys play. Like I, I don't really care about this. Like they were out there doing calisthenics uh, yeah, a, a, a little bit. You know, like like what, <laughs> the what are stretching we doing and the, the off shooting like, drills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go play, McKinley Wright. Go play. I don't care if you're seven foot ten standing reach and six foot tall with shoes like if you can play go play that's what i care yeah Dejan nick six eight wingspan let's see it on the defensive end yeah it, like, I don't, that's I don't actually the trade the trade man good with Dacian, though, that's one that I think is important. Like, Dacian Nick's coming in at, like, 225 pounds and looking pretty in shape. Like, that was important to me. That was a good day one look, and we kind of had the sneak peek when I saw him out at Pangos, and he worked out at Impact, and more NBA guys saw him. So he, he's definitely improved himself just by showing he's he's back in shape following the G League stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, I will say, like, Jeremiah Robinson Earl coming in at, like, 6'9 with a 6'10 wingspan was not great for him. Um, Raekwon Gray, I was hoping, was a little bit longer, but not awesome that he came in at 6'11 at 6'8 height, 6'11 wingspan. Um, That's still at, like, 260, too, right? Yeah, and 17% body fat. 
that was mm. like me levels. I feel like uh, maybe a little bit, maybe a <laughs> little great. bit more. Yeah, um, I waited right now. It might be okay. Yeah, yeah. As someone who runs like four days a week, not doing what uh, NBA basketball players do. Um, yeah, just in general, I, I would say don't overreact to the shit. It doesn't matter if you can't play. Like Scotty Lewis finished top three in like all of the measurements athletically today. I, I love Scotty Lewis as a human being, but Scotty Lewis was not very good in college this year and was not very good last year. No. So that's ultimately the no, most important no, thing. And, and we and we knew we said this months ago that Scotty is a spectacular athlete, and I wasn't I wasn't surprised when he kind of swept everything. Like I think he tied for max vertical jump with your boy Jericho Sims, right? Ah, uh, I think he think Jericho might have beat him. To be honest, I mean that that was that was a call. Maybe the, on my the part. other vertical. It was. It was a call. I, I actually scrolled when it first posted because I thought you meant standing reach, and then it was like max vertical jump. I'm like, ah, I think that might have been it. I think you nailed it. Yeah, 40, 44 and a half uh, max vertical leap. That's like Hamadou Diallo level uh, vert from Jericho Sims. Just ridiculous from him. Uh, I think that's all we've got today. Like, I, I, We don't want to belabor this. The lottery happened. We'll do more of a combine deep dive the next time we podcast which will uh given that i'm moving in next monday like i said like who who knows when that'll be matthew uh when do you want it to be just don't 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 bury your podcast stuff in the the bag of towels just don't lose that i'll try not to uh (laughs) any movies have you watched any movies come on give it to me before we go no i i i finished watching i'm like an episode away from finishing the flight attendant that's really about it I, I got nothing, uh, nothing saucy based on the since the last podcast. I know you've probably watched about five or six, but I'm I'm slow to kind of get caught up to speed on things. No, I've only watched one or two movies. I watched Kajillionaire, uh, which came out last year with Evan Rachel Wood and Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger. Uh, th- that was really good. That was very fun, and it's like a it's like a heist movie, sort of. Not really. So that was enjoyable to me um uh, what else have i watched i also watched i almost texted you last night because i knew that you'd be laughing if i did this uh night of or day rush of, hour three no i didn't watch rush hour three okay. um <laughs> i watched uh the night of the hunter which is like an old 1955 i would have i would have yes, laughed at that yes robert mitchum movie uh with like <laughs> One of the like best movies ever made, quote unquote, whatever that means, right? Uh, and I hadn't seen it before, so I watched it and I was like, okay, this is fine. <laughs> Did it live up to its billing? Is the biggest question. I'll be honest, I fell asleep because it was like eleven thirty, and so I've been working not. for twelve hours. So, <laughs> like, what can we so do? Not here? the best movie ever made. It's it's no Fast Nine. It's to be honest, it probably is like on level with Fast Nine. <laughs> That, I, I'll say there. I don't know if that's a positive uh, endorsement. I can't. I can't talk about Fast Nine yet because it hasn't come out no, and doesn't come out for another right. three days yet. And I've seen it. I saw it like almost a week ago now. It's hard to not talk about. Um, what an enjoyable little. Uh, just, just don't, just don't be time. the guy that ruins it on Twitter. I mean, there's certain times in life where I turn off notifications for certain people, especially during the draft. I don't want to have to turn yours off for, for movie takes no. before I can actually see that in theaters. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. We'll be ramping up here with the draft getting closer uh, by the day, really. And luckily, we have the Combine, a lot of Combine stuff to end this week, Thursday and Friday. So I'm sure we'll have more content next week as well. 
All right. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next week with more. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.